Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney. On this episode of I'm the Gun, I join with some like-minded comics bloggers and podcasters and taking a look at, in its 25th anniversary year, the DC Comics crossover event Eclipso, The Darkness Within. It's really hard for me to believe that it's been 25 years since this summer event. It's actually one of the more important DC events to me, personally, because it was the first one that I kind of came in on the ground floor of. Crisis on Infinite Earths will always be tops with me. I think in many ways it's the most important and well-executed of DC's mega events, but back in 85, 86, I just happened to casually pick up a couple of issues, beginning with number 8. Completely unaware of the goings-on, that issue number 8 made a big enough impression on me that I had a very rare, for me at that time, a three-issue run. I managed to somehow at the drugstore to scrape up numbers 9 and 10, but I lost track of the 12-parter after that. It wasn't until many, many years later that I was able to go back and complete my crisis collection. In the meantime, though, in 1992, me on the verge of my very first job and the spending cash that went along with it, I was there for the early promotion of the Eclipso event. I was able to buy the first issue with its great plastic gem gimmick glued right on the cover. And I was able to follow along buying several more of the chapters released throughout that summer. Speaking of which, the format of this event followed up on what must have been a very successful crossover the previous year, 1991's Armageddon 2001, which began in one extra-sized special ran throughout DC's line of annuals, and finished up in a book-ending special number two. Eclipse of the Darkness Within aped that format, beginning with Eclipse of the Darkness Within number one, running through 18 annuals during the summer, and concluded, or did it, in the Darkness Within finale issue number two. The overall story centered on DC villain Eclipso, who until then had really been just a run-of-the-mill supervillain, although when he was introduced in the early 60s in the title House of Secrets, he had a pretty interesting gimmick. Two, really. His power, kind of laser vision, was focused through a gem he held up to his eye. He had a cool look where a little over half of his face was shaded blue, so the gem could get a different effect depending on which eye it was held up to. But even more interesting was that he was a villain starring in his own feature. While his alter ego, Dr. Bruce Gordon, he was the antagonist, but he was the hero. It's kind of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. Gordon would turn to Eclipso whenever there was an actual eclipse, but Gordon would also spend the story trying to somehow stymie his evil half. All that changed, though, with The Darkness Within. The event fundamentally changed the nature of the character. In short, it was revealed that Eclipso was far from a standard villain, but more a force of nature, a god of vengeance who'd found it convenient to play the villain to keep superheroes in the dark about his ultimate plans. Eclipso's essence had at some point in the past been trapped in a giant gemstone, which had been divided by a jeweler into a thousand pieces. There were a thousand little bits of Eclipso's being floated floated around the world, and it was just one of these that had found its way into Bruce Gordon's hands way back when, so all that time he'd just been an aspect of the true Eclipso. 
The darkness within sees the, the big E, accelerating his plan to unite the thousand fragments into one stone in order to free himself, and these thousand gems find themselves in various corners of the DC universe. One thing that we learn, and Eclipso learns this about himself, and this is kind of the big hook of the series, is that he can possess anyone in physical possession of the gem. And after learning it's even better to possess someone with superpowers, Eclipso tries throughout the series to manipulate the gems into the hands of various superheroes and supervillains. In the chapter I'm going to recap this episode, the gems find their way into the very powerful hands of Legion, L-E-G-I-O-N, members Lobo and Lady Quark. So the Legion 92, annual number three, a story called Chasing Shadows. It's by the team of writer Barry Kitson, who at this time was actually drawing the, the monthly Legion title. Uh, penciler Mike McCone, familiar to me at that time as a semi-regular JLA artist, whose style, appropriately enough for that series, was somewhere between Kevin McGuire and Adam Hughes. This annual had too many inkers. A long list of names uh, that includes John Dell, Jack Torrance, Peter Gross, surprised to see his name there, Bob Smith, and Jimmy Palmiotti. Gee, I get nervous when I see a uh, list of inkers' names that long, but honestly, it didn't really have any negative effect on this issue. Colors are by Digital Chameleon, letters by Gaspar, and it was edited by Dan Raspler and Frank Pitterese. The attractive cover is a tight bird's-eye view of an eclipsed Lobo, the main man, standing dead center of a United Nations emblem, surrounded by the strewn, and for their sake, I'll hope and say, unconscious bodies of Lobo's Legion teammates, because if they're not unconscious, they're dead. L-E-G-I-O-N, remember, is an acronym contracting licensed Extra Governmental Intergalactic Operatives Network. And there's a kind of kind of like an interstellar police force for hire. And in the language of its boss, the brilliant, ruthless Kaluan, Vril Docs, Client Worlds, pay a subscription fee. And to me, this sounds like a protection racket. And Docs, like a gangster. But at the beginning of the story, it's discussion of Earth's potential as a Legion client that has apparently brought Docs and his command team to the planet. Though this is just a ruse, Legion is really on Earth to find out more about Eclipso's black diamonds which have come to Docs's attention. Intelligence has reported that the diamonds are a powerful enough weapon to hold even Superman in their sway, and this is true. In an earlier chapter of the story, Superman was possessed by Eclipso, and at this point was still under Eclipso's power. The opening pages find Docs and his associate, Lady Quark, undercover. Docs and kind of a, for him, ridiculous-looking private eye get-up, fedora, trench coat, and the super short Annie Lennox-type haircut of Lady Quark is covered in a longer blonde wig. They're checking out a tip on a black diamond in a seedy part of New York. A contact put them in touch with Mickey Slanzik, who apparently has access to a black diamond. A reluctant Mickey, needing a little demonstration of Lady Quark's energy powers, finally brings the pair to a dive bar where, where they'll apparently find a diamond. 
Meanwhile, we see what the rest of the team is up to in other parts of the city. Stealth, Strata, Telepath, and Deputy Leader FaZe participate in a press conference at the United Nations with uh, JLAers Fire, Ice, and Booster Gold in attendance. FaZe is there to announce a speech Vril Dox will deliver this evening. And I find it a little funny when someone shoves a microphone in FaZe's face and asks her how she's enjoying her first trip to Earth. And little did the reporter realize that in phases past, she'd been to Earth many times, living there even during her years-long membership in the Legion of Superheroes. At this time, Faze was the 30th century Phantom Girl, transported through time and given... Amnesia. Other team members, Xena Moonstruck and a very bored Lobo are ordered to wait things out at the team's hotel. Back at the dive bar, Vrildox is having a hard time convincing the owner of the Black Diamond, a big bruiser named Kirk, to cough it up, despite asking Kirk to name his own price. Kirk is not only not interested in selling his diamond, as a crowd of toughs surround Dox and Lady Quark, he threatens to take their cash and feed their bodies to the river rats. Well, the Legion pair is unintimidated, and they waste no time. And Lady Quark doesn't even waste an energy blast, mopping up the muscle while the crowd in the bar places bets on a kirk dox quark matchup. The ease with which his tufts are handled angers Kirk sufficiently enough for the diamond in his hand to activate and for Clipso to take control of his body. That's how that transformation is triggered throughout the series. One must be in physical contact with a gemstone and get angry enough for the big E to take hold. The possession can manifest in a couple of different ways, the most common so far since Eclipso the Darkness within number one, in which uh, Eclipso took his first victim, actually was former Legion member Largand. When Eclipso took Largand while the young space explorer slash adventurer was checking out the giant palace on the dark side of the moon, the possession was shown visually with a, an appalling new hairstyle, straight up off the head, kind of like eraser head style, and the telltale blue semicircle covering two-thirds of his face. And this is what happens to Kirk. Now, when Eclipso possesses a victim, he's compelled to fulfill whatever vengeance triggers the transformation. In this case, Kirk's anger with Dox and Quark. Eclipso Kirk immediately grabs Dox by the throat, but with a word from her boss, Lady Quark fires a bolt, completely incapacitating Kirk. And Vril, with a thank you, Mr. Kirk, removes the gem from his hand, though the conscious mind of Eclipso thinks, You're welcome, fool. This is playing right into Eclipso's hand. He wants the gems in the hands of the powerful. Dox flips their informant Mickey a wad of bills, payment for acting as go-between, and he and Lady Quark leave the bar a complete shambles. As Quark flies them to their hotel, Dox explains his plan. His plans are always explained on a need-to-know basis. It's here he reveals that the gemstone is the sole reason for their coming to Earth. Anything capable of neutralizing Superman to Dox is worth having. Not too long ago, Dox and Legion came into conflict with the Man of Steel over 
Doc's obsessive quest to hunt his father, Superman foe Brainiac. And I, uh, I covered that meeting on a recent episode of the show. So now, Docs must follow through with the plan's cover and attend the dinner in honor of himself and his speech. That evening, at the team's hotel, Docs brushes off Faze's questioning of his whereabouts. And as he and most of the team depart for the dinner in their best evening wear, he coaxes a grudging pledge from Lobo to help Lady Quark, who'll stay behind with Xena Moonstruck, to look after something. Well, a very bored Lobo trapped in a New York hotel suite is... It's not a good situation. After Xena excuses herself to go to bed, a funny-looking pair of Lady Quark and Lobo sitting on opposite sides of a sofa can't even watch TV as Lobo had Rockstar-like thrown the thing out the window earlier. To break the awkward silence, Lobo asks Quark, "What, what are they guarding? And in a huge lapse in judgment, Lady Quark produces the black diamond, and Lobo petulantly swipes it away and starts a game of keep away. Quark immediately goes to her energy blasts, and that does it. It angers Lobo just enough to trigger a transformation, and we go immediately to the worst-case scenario. There's the super-strong, nigh-invulnerable body of Lobo now belongs to Eclipso. Last year, several of your favorite podcasts and blogs got together to cover one of the greatest comic events ever, DC's 1993 annual crossover, Bloodlines. But it wasn't enough for them to just cover your newest favorites, like Nightblade, Jam, and Shadowstrike. They wanted to do more. This year, they are. In celebration of its 25th anniversary, they will be covering DC's 1992 annual event, Eclipso, The Darkness Within. Join Coffee and Comics, DC Bloodlines, Between the Pages, Pop Culture Palace, Relatively Geeky, Cosmic Treadmill, For the Non-Discerning Reader, Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, Chris on Infinite Earths, The Retroist, Diana Prince Wonder Woman, and On the Gun, and learn who gets possessed, who fights back, who will be cancelled, who will die, and who will get their own spinoff keep up with the crossover using hashtag best event ever and hashtag eclipso tdw25 all throughout june 2017 beware the power of the black diamond well eclipso fulfills lobo's bloodlust by knocking lady quark out This row wakes up Xena Moonstruck, the newish recruit who may be the key to the whole thing with her ability to store and release amounts of solar energy. That's Eclipso's only weakness. Xena doesn't know this, nor are we sure Eclipso Lobo knows of Xena's power, though Eclipso can tap into the memories of his host body. Xena's chased through the, the pretty expansive suite by Lobo, and I've got to hand it to Mike McCone. My favorite things about his artwork are characters' expressions. As I said before, he's a great successor to Kevin McGuire on JLI. But also, the guy does not skimp on backgrounds. 
this chase through the suite. I don't think I've ever seen so much illustrated molding in a comic book before. And after a one-panel shining spoof, here's Eclipso. The chase spills into the rest of the hotel where the rock star treatment of this place continues. Xena warns everyone present to evacuate, and someone puts in a call to the JLA. Xena becomes cornered in the hotel dining room, and here it finally occurs to her to use her powers. She sucks all the light out of the room, which doesn't slow Eclipse Bow down at all, but with one big, bright burst, she lets out all the light she's absorbed. A stranger enters the hotel, past a police cordon, declaring he has, quote-unquote, uh, official business. And he seems determined to find Xena Moonstruck. He does find her in the rubble of the dining room and thinks to himself he's lucky she's still alive. She'll be very useful to us. Now what this is about, we don't know yet, but... In a few of these Eclipso annuals, there have been a few characters that seem to encounter a stranger, usually accompanied by a flash of light, and then they disappear. Blue Beetle was one, Kilowog, Chunk from the Flash series, Dr. Light, and now maybe we can count Xena Moonstruck among them. Back at the epicenter of the destruction, the Legion's penthouse suite, Lady Quark awakens to find no Lobo, no Xena, but picks up the black diamond which had been left behind. Docs and the team returned from their fancy dinner in which Docs didn't even try to put on a face. He had no intention of offering Legion service to Earth. At least not yet until, as he expressed to the group, they, quote, had more diplomatic relations with some of the more civilized cultures of the galaxy in that uh, within just a few generations the People of Earth may have sufficiently evolved. Same old supercilious Vril Docs. <laughs> I love it. Well, Docs, FaZe, and the rest return to find the hotel in pieces, Lobo with no memory of what's happened, and one of their teammates missing. Docs places blame squarely at the feet of Lady Quark. He really lays into her and doesn't realize this might not be the best time to do that. Quark has had enough. She resents the way Docs is speaking to her, and it's that's just enough of a foothold, considering she's still holding the black diamond, for Eclipso to come to the fore. And he, she, it, lashes out at the Legionnaires, taking them out one by one, overpowering Garve and Strata outfighting stealth and forcing FaZe into a solid state by preying on her sense of self-sacrifice and threatening the giant bug creature telepath's life. Vrildox next finds himself in Equarxo's sights. She cuts him down with some energy blasts, but a completely revived Lobo interrupts before Eclipso can act on her stated master plan. Lobo wants some payback, and over the course of five pages, smashes Lady Quark's body through hotel ceilings, hotel floors, a parking garage. It's really a knockdown, drag-out fight where 
Barry Kitson puts Mike McCone and the Inkers through their paces. There's debris, rubble, shards of broken glass. And the art team excels splendidly. Members of the JLA finally show up. When was that call put in? About 20 pages back? Yeah, it was 20 pages back. Now, I dialed JLA a long time ago. Don't you see how late they reactin'? They only come when they come when they wanna. Go get the morgue truck and then bomb the corner. I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. I promise to never do that again on this show. Apologies to Public Enemy. Fire, Ice, and Booster show up. They see Lobo and Lady Quark locked in battle and immediately mistake Lobo for the bad guy. He calls them buttheads as a blast of cold and a shot of green flame knock him away from the brawl. It's probably lucky for them that the dawn is approaching. This is noticed by Quarkso, who takes off in a big hurry. Eclipso cannot be seen in, in the dawn. The sunlight would not be a good thing for Eclipso. Booster chases after while ice and fire dig the members of Legion out of the rubble. But a final blast from Eclipso sends Booster back to the earth. FaZe has a sneaking suspicion Dox knows all about this and forces a confession. Dox had lied to his teammates, all of them, about their purpose here. It was all to acquire a gem for study. The rest of the team aren't even sure how Dox got any information at all about the the recent goings-on on Earth. But he just sidesteps that line of questioning. He pivots, saying the bigger problem is now one of their own, is under Eclipso's sway, and Earth's heroes seem incapable of dealing with the situation, at least without the proper leadership, the kind of leadership he, of course, could provide. FaZe is loath to admit it, but they are now invested and pledged to, to take the fight to Eclipso, along with Earth's heroes. We're told to check out the next chapter of the story in the Adventures of Superman Annual 4, which itself leads directly into the series finale, Eclipso, The Darkness Within, number two. Now, this issue has never been collected, uh, but there's a fair amount of Legion available digitally. Uh, I like this issue, and as a chapter in an overall story, I think it has a lot to offer. This format in general kind of works for this type of story, at least... It did twice in 91 for Armageddon 2001 and here for Eclipso, threading the chapters through the annuals. Editors, creative teams, and readers aren't really saddled with the baggage of the plots and subplots of the regular monthly books. In the annuals that I read, it's pretty much cover-to-cover action advancing the plot. Reading Reading some of these back-to-back-to-back, I can see there's some formula. Hero-slash-villain-slash-supporting-cast-member encounters Black Diamond, gets mad, then fights Hero-slash-villain-or-supporting-cast-member. But it's interesting to see many of the Eclipse characters shuttled off by each chapter's end to some unknown location, awaiting Eclipso's final plan. In this chapter in particular, I thought, handled bringing DC's space book right into the thick of things here on Earth. Vrildox's single-minded determination, pride, curiosity about the Eclipso phenomenon was the perfect way to nudge Legion toward a 
pretty central role as the story hurdles toward climax. Team naturally offers many potential Eclipso candidates, as disgruntled as many of them are, bristling under the leadership of Docs is a it's a lot of power, a lot of anger on this team. As I mentioned before, the first time I talked about Legion in my Brainiacs episode, membership of the team is in a way a collection of space character refugees, characters with history but really nowhere else to go. Former or yet-to-be Legion of Superheroes members Phantom Girl and Valor, pre-Silver Age hero Captain Comet, literal dimensional refugee Lady Quark, and the book's obvious breakout star Lobo, who at this time had had a miniseries or two that uh, was on the verge of a long-running solo series. So lots of possibilities to add to Eclipso's ranks, and I think Barry Kitson did a good job. Lady Quark in the hands of Eclipso makes a formidable opponent and keeps Legion on the hook for the rest of the story. And in Lobo, and Lobo makes the perfect cover star candidate. And plus, it doesn't take too much to get the, the main man riled up. And even though his possession is only temporary, his help fighting Eclipse will be important, as you'll see in the final two chapters. Speaking of which, be sure to check out the other Eclipso The Darkness Within coverage with participation from blogger and podcaster pals, many of whom provided similar coverage of DC's 1993 crossover event Bloodlines last year. And these brave souls include, but are not limited to, Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. He kicked things off in a recent comics reading journal. We've also got coverage from the Coffee and Comics podcast, Al Sedano of Resurrections, the Adam Warlock Thanos podcast, plus a new feature at the Pop Culture Palace, Karen Williams of Between the Pages and The Retroist, Joe Crawford of the Tumblr for the Non-Discerning Reader, Diabolu Frank of Rolled Spine's Diana Prince Wonder Woman podcast and the DC Bloodlines podcast, and Chris Sheehan of the blog Chris is an Infinite Earths and co-host of the Cosmic Treadmill podcast. And I'm going to help round out coverage with another episode and a guest taking a look at the series finale Eclipso, The Darkness Within, number two. So please check out uh, this show's blog, imthegun.blogspot.com. I'll put up links to that other Eclipso coverage, as well as images from this issue. If you have any comments, remembrances of the Eclipso crossover and care to share, I'd love to hear. There's a link on the blog to my Twitter, email. There's an option to leave a comment on the post. And speaking of Twitter, if you want, you can follow along with the Eclipso coverage by using the hashtags Best Event Ever and Eclipso TDW25. So uh, thanks for listening. Until next time, see you on the dark side of the moon.